continue our study of the attributes of God this evening by considering God as being eternal. God is eternal. And I want to open with a word of prayer before we, we begin to consider this. Father, we come to you again in the name of your Son, asking that you would come down to us and teach us. Lord, if, if nothing else, would you move us? Would you shake us down to the very center and fiber of our being as we consider you who are so far beyond our imagination, so far beyond our understanding? Lord, outside of our comprehension and experience, Lord, even with this, would you maybe even shock us with your eternal nature? Hear us, Lord, and answer us for your name's sake. Amen. I want to begin by reading the introductory note in the workbook chapter 10 and I'll, I'll make some comments. One of the most amazing attributes of God and one of the many that distinguish Him from all creation is His eternal existence. He is without beginning and without end. There was never a time when He did not exist and there will never be a time when His existence will cease. He is before all things and will remain after all things have passed away. The eternality of God does not just mean that He has always existed and will exist for an infinite number of years. It further indicates that He is timeless and ageless, always existing and never changing. We'll stop there for a moment. I want to draw your attention to what is... Uh, a little bit of a, a conundrum that we, we have seen and will see often in this paragraph and throughout our study. He uses several phrases like before all things, after all things, always existing. These are examples and, and some of them from Scripture itself of something that I've pointed out several times and I want to state it again. Each of these phrases is a reference to time. It, these phrases assume the boundaries of time. When you say before or after, you're referencing time. And yet he says, is, is correct, at the end of the paragraph, or the part that we read, God is timeless. Why use the language of time to speak of one who is timeless? And again, the answer is because that's all we have. That's all that we know. It's all that we can understand. Everything that we might say and every passage of Scripture that we might use to defend the eternity of God is anthropomorphic. It is using the language of man or the language of the creature to try to describe the uncreated creator, God. 
as Louis Burkhoff puts it. The Bible uses popular language, not the language of philosophy. Most of us are probably not aware of how much philosophy and the language of philosophy influences how we have learned to speak of God. But the Bible doesn't strive after that. The Bible just uses words and phrases and things that common people would be able to recognize, be able to relate to their own experience, and yet it does so when describing the God who's incomprehensible, that, that cannot be described according to our experience. It uses what we know by experience even to describe what we cannot know by experience. This is why men have said that philosophy is the handmaid of theology. Use it to try to make sense of the things that we see the Bible saying. Eternity is one of those things that the Bible describes for us, and yet we do not know it. We do not know it. What we know is time. That's what we, we experience. Time. Time is a creature. Or we might say time is the measure of creatures. Time is how we quantify the duration of creatures. As moment follows moment, every creature, every one of us is undergoing change. At least with respect to age or duration. We are moment by moment older, 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 older. What we, we don't recognize things like the inner workings of our bodies and, and our, our biology. There are things happening in us. Maybe food is being digested. Maybe, maybe uh, those things are being put to use to keep us uh, awake and energetic. The things that we have eaten, our body is using as energy to keep us uh, alive. We, we don't even recognize these things. But every moment we are experiencing and undergoing change. So then we could say that time is the measure or a measure of the change in created things. Or time is a measure of mutation. It's one of the ways that we gauge our change ability and our changing. Time is a limit. Time is a boundary. Every passing moment, however we might measure it, whether it's a second or a minute or an hour or a millisecond, as, as, as small as we want to get or as big as we want to get, every, every way that we might measure time uses a beginning and an end. There's a start and a stop, how we, how we would bound in that measurement or that unit. Every day has a beginning and an end. Every year has a beginning and an end. Bookends, or we might say limits on that unit. It started here and it stopped here. And we as creatures are subject to these limits. We are mutable, ever-changing creatures and time just sets boundaries on the units of measure measuring that change or that mutation. And we feel these, these limits. We can feel these boundaries. Whether pressed for time or killing time, we feel the boundaries of time marking off all of our changes. If we're in a hurry, 
We feel the limits. The, the units are too close together. I, I'm, I'm, I feel the pressure. When we're waiting, we're bored. Something's taking longer than it should take. We feel the pressure. We, the, 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 the units are stretching out too far and we can feel that. When we say that God is eternal or we speak of the eternity of God, we are asserting that God, because He is God, because He is immutable, He does not and cannot change, He has no such experience. No experience of, of waiting for time to pass or hurrying because time is passing too quickly. No experience of that whatsoever. He's not subject to time. He's not subject to any limitations, especially by His own creatures or a creaturely measurement like time. He, he's outside of the bounds of those limits. Herman Bovink says, "...the limitations of finite creatures do not apply to God." And John Gill says, "...the eternity of God belongs to His infinity." God is infinite, not finite. Therefore, He's not subject to bounds. He's not subject to limits or ends. Sometimes when you read an old, an old book or an old piece of literature, at the end you'll see finis, F-I-N-I-S. Here's the end, the limit. That's what finite means. It has bounds on it. Starts here, stops here. God is not finite. He's not, He is infinite. There's no, no, no bound whatsoever. So eternity... Eternity is not a really, 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 really long time. Some of you are thinking, how many times is he going to say really? What's taking so long? You feel the pressure. How many sequences can we go through here? Eternity is not that. It's not a really long time. Eternity is that which is outside of the boundaries of what we call time. It excludes Every notion of a succession of moments. That's eternity. Louis Burkhoff. Eternity differs from time essentially as to its essence. Eternity and time, different. They're, they're two different things. And he quotes one that he references as Dr. Orr who says, quote, Eternity is that to which time forms a contrast. So you got eternity, and then contrasting that is the whole notion of time as we know it. Time and eternity are contrasts. They are opponents. They stand opposed to one another. When we say that God is eternal, we are addressing His transcendent nature as it stands over against or contrasts time. More, more quotes. In God there is no time. He is what He is from eternity. God is eternal present. Children, that doesn't mean a present like you get a present for your birthday. But present as in right now is the present. God is eternal present. George Swinnick in his, his book I referenced on the incomparableness of God. Here's some things he says. God dwells in one indivisible point of eternity. He is what He is in one infinite moment of being. Some people have, have pointed out, God is being, we are becomings. We are always changing, but God simply is. One infinite moment of being. 
His duration knows nothing of former or latter. You have the, the language of duration, a time, time word, but it knows nothing of former or latter, nothing of before or after. Eternity is God's infinite existence considered in relation to what we know as time. Time is the creation of God. And so God does coexist with all points of time, but He Himself transcends time. He stands outside of time. He's not affected by time. We see in James 1.17, He says, With God there is no variation or shadow due to change. Here's the picture. They didn't used to have watches. They would have a sundial. The sundial remains fixed. And as the sun moves, the shadow on the ground moves. The shadow due to a change, a variation. The sundial doesn't move. The sun moves. I think what James is saying is with God, there's not even a moving shadow. Time and God do not relate except that time is the creature of God. God possesses all of His eternal life along with and in each successive moment of what we call time. Even within the smallest possible measurement of time as we know it. What do we say? Just like that. Now we could go back to the recording on the, on the audio back there and we could zoom in on the audio file to that noise. I could stretch it out and though it seems like a quick moment, almost immeasurable, we could mark, mark a starting point and a stopping point of that sound. Right? We can measure that. The smallest, and, and that's not even very fast. The smallest, even within the smallest possible measurement of time as we know it, just then, as it passed by us, God has just been in that instant eternal. Just, just right there, He possessed His whole eternity. We'll see later, Psalm 90 verse 2. From everlasting to everlasting, it's the phrase the Scripture uses. From everlasting to everlasting in God is no different than the twinkling of an eye. These are things for us. We measure lastingness and twinkling of eyes. Not God. They're, they're not different to Him. These are measurements using our scale, not God's scale. Why? Because He's eternal. There is no scale for Him to be measured according to time. And so we can see why Swinnick again would, would mix eternity and time in one statement when he says, speaking of God, He enjoys His whole eternity every moment. The moments are ours. That's how we think. But the eternity is God's. John Gill again, with God there is no former nor latter nor order nor succession of times. A.A. A. Hodge, God's eternity is an ever-abiding present. Again, not a gift that you get that stays forever, but the present right now. God's eternity is an ever-present or an ever-abiding present. He says, in God, all is now. He says, eternity, the unchanging present, comprehends 
all time and coexists as an undivided moment with all successions of time as they appear and pass in their order. So that in God, he says, as to his mode of existence, his thoughts, his emotions, his purposes, his acts are all without succession. They are one and inseparable, the same forever. Because there's no passing of time. God doesn't do this and then do this and then do this and think this and then think this and then purpose this and then purpose this. No, with God it's all one indivisible, one inseparable act. Burkhoff again, he possesses his whole existence in one indivisible present. And I give you all those just to, to show you how others have tried to articulate this thing and many of them sound very similar And I say all that to say, just as a reminder, that as we move into the Scriptures, the only language that we have is a concession to us who are creatures of time. So words like everlasting and ancient and beginning and end and days and years and before and after, all of those words, these are all time words because all we have to write with are time words. Now we could we could read this in one of two ways. Either we can take all those words and say, well, God must be subject to time. I mean, everlasting just means he lasts forever. That's that's time. He's beginning and end, or he has many days. Well, that's that's time. We can judge it that way, or we can put those statements together along with other statements that the Scripture gives us about His immutability and His infinity. And then we discern that when those words are used, what it's trying to say, what, what is trying to be put forth for us to understand is God is eternal. He's outside of the bounds of time. That's also important to keep in mind because there are sometimes in Scripture when those words are used and it does not mean eternal in the sense that God is eternal. Things like everlasting and eternal. And you read it and you say, well, that's not really eternal like God is eternal. These are the limitations of our speech. These are concessions made to us. Now back to the the book. No person or created thing shares this attribute with Him. We are for a moment, but God is forever. He made us, but no one made Him. We depend upon Him for our very existence, but He depends upon nothing and no one. Our earthly existence passes away like sand through an hourglass, but He remains. He was God and is God and will be God forever. God's eternity, what He's putting forth here, God's eternity is what we call an incommunicable attribute. It is in no way uh, used of the creature in any sense. Uh, God's righteousness is a communicable attribute. He can, he can uh, credit us with a righteousness and then impute or, or, or work in us a righteousness so that that is communicated to us. But eternity is not communicated to us. It's an incommunicable attribute. It's in no way attributable to the creature. Swinnick again, eternity, which has no beginning, succession, or end, belongs only to God. So when we speak of eternity, what we are speaking of is the Godness of God. What makes Him, or what, I'm going to say what makes Him to be God. Hopefully you understand nothing makes God to be God except His Godness. Now I've tried to take the material and and put it under some headings, so we have four. 
Number one, God's eternity denominated. God's eternity declared. God's eternity demonstrated. And then God's eternity applied. So first, God's eternity denominated. To denominate just means to give a name. So the, 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 the note says, In the Scriptures, a person's name has great significance in that it often reveals something about his or her character. What are the names given to God in the following Scriptures and what do they teach us about His eternality? Now these in the, in the book are, are fill in the blank, so we won't turn to all of these. We'll turn to some in a minute that aren't there. There's a reference to Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He says the idea that's communicated in this statement is that existence is an attribute of God's very nature. Unlike man, God does not will to exist or make an effort to exist. He simply is. And I would also point out that God needs no time stamp to identify Himself. He simply is by nature. This morning when I brought up James Durham, I said he was born in this year and he died in this year. Most of us probably are going to have a rock at some point in the ground above our head that says, born this year and died this year. We're, we're time stamped. God says, I am. Someone will, will maybe look at those stones and they say, this person was from here to here. This person was from this date to this date, but they're gone now. Not so with God. He says, I am. As Christ Himself says in John 8, 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Here He's referred to, God is given this name, the everlasting God. One who is everlasting will last forever. When applied to God, the word refers not only to the future but also the past. He has always been and will always be. Again, notice we have words, future, past, always been, always will be. These are time words. This is how we have to consider God. And even the concept of lasting, everlasting, what is that that carries the, the notion of enduring the succession of time? How long will this or that thing last? We're trying to measure it. I want something that will last me a long time. But remember that time is, as it were, below God. He's not enduring time. As Creator, He cannot be subject to His creatures. It is of His essence as God to be eternal. And this is why Habakkuk asks rhetorically in Habakkuk 1.12, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? Is this not who you are? Eternal, everlasting? The next scripture is Daniel 7, 9. I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took His seat. God is called the Ancient of Days. When used with reference to men, the word ancient usually denotes old age and weakness of mind and body. When used with reference to God, it denotes the grandeur, splendor, power and wisdom of the one who was before the very foundations of the world and will continue to be when the world has passed away. 
Ancient of days. What are days? They are time markers measured by the, the earth's relationship to the sun. Days are for those under the sun. That's us. God is above the sun. It's, it's, a, it's a name given to try to get it into our minds. That He's not like you. He's not like us. He's eternal. God is not subject to such passing of time. Revelation 1.8, He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. These are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. They powerfully communicate that God is the first and the last. He is before all things and will continue on when all things have passed. So in these texts, God has given names or titles. He's denominated the Alpha and the Omega, the Ancient of Days, the Everlasting God, the I Am. That's His name. Now turn with me. This is not in the, in the book, but turn with me to 1 Samuel 15. First Samuel 15, verse 29. The text says, Also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Now notice here, God has given this name, the glory of Israel. Now that word glory is the Hebrew word, I think it would be pronounced Nisah. It's used 43 times in the Old Testament. 39 out of the 43, it's translated using words like forever or forevermore. And then you have these four outliers. Some of you may, may know the Hebrew language is very often the words are actually descriptive of pictures. It's a picture, and then the, the picture then conveys an idea, and then that idea could be broken up into several different words, depending on what angle you're thinking of, of the picture in. This word, Nisah, here, here's the, the, the imagery. Some of you have seen this maybe in, in movies or things. Somebody's in a desert or a, a wilderness of some sort, and they look as far off as they can into the horizon, and they see the, the glistening or the shining of a piece of metal. In, in the, the way that it's put together, that's how they know there is life out there. There's something metal, something man-created, and the light is shining off of it, and they see a little glimmer that lets them know something is out there on the horizon. You ever seen is that? You get that? Okay, that's, that's the picture painted by this word, Nisah. Something glistening as far as you can see. So then the imagery coming into words is either viewed from the angle of the thing itself, glory, splendor, a shining, a, 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 a dazzling sight, but it also could be used to describe the distance or the duration to that thing. As far off as you can see, as far as the eye can see. That's why it's translated using words like forever or forevermore. So it probably wouldn't be wrong to translate this text, and many have pointed this out. Also, the eternity of Israel will not lie or change his mind. And taken that way, God would be named expressly the eternity or the everlasting or the forever of Israel. Remember, God being simple, all that is in God 
is God Himself. God does not simply reside in a long span of time called eternity, but He is Himself, and here's a quote, a complete and at the same time a full possession of interminable life. And that would be a description of eternity. Complete, full, interminable life. That is eternity as defined by Thomas Aquinas. If that name's offensive, I'm sorry. But that's the way he described this idea of eternity. God's names, the way that He's named, teaches us of His eternity. Secondly, we have God's eternity declared. Declared. Having considered the names of God that speak of His eternal nature, we will now consider some important declarations from Scripture. These these next texts teach us about the eternal nature of God. They teach us about His relationship to His creation. And they also demonstrate His greatness. So let's turn to these. Job 36, 26. Job 36, 26. Behold, God is exalted, and we do not know Him. The number of His years is unsearchable. God, we see here, is beyond our study. He's beyond our knowledge. Not that He's hidden, but that He's infinite. And the finite cannot study out, cannot search out and and fully discover the infinite God. Uncover Him. We cannot. we, We do not know Him. Now as to eternity, and here it's using the language of time again, the number of His years is unsearchable. Now, this is not like you know, someone with a metal detector might find something and pick it up and they say, I'm not sure how old this is. No, it's unsearchable. It's, it's beyond finding out. This is how mutable, mortal, time-restrained men would say, we cannot lay our minds upon the nature of God's existence in relation to time. The number of His years is unsearchable. This incomprehensibility of God does not mean that we can't make clear dogmatic statements about Him based on His self-revelation in the Scriptures. We can. We can assert God is eternal. We can say that. Some people would say, taking texts like this, we do not know Him, He's unsearchable, and basically any, anybody who tries to make a, a, an assertive propositional statement about the nature of God, you've gone too far. He's, he's really like, like, a, a, like trying to hold sand or water. You really can't know Him. That's not true. We can't assert the things that are revealed in Scripture. We just have to understand how the Scriptures are to be used. The next text is Psalm 90 verse 2. Psalm 90, verse 2. 
Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God's godness stands before, above, and after time. Even as we might try to imagine everlastingness into the past and everlastingness into the future, our minds eventually fade away into confusion and then nothing. We just sort of stop. But even in that, God stands like a third party examining the whole scheme of what we might consider everlasting to everlasting, seeing both ends, being God at both ends, with no beginning, no end in Himself. He's eternal. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 57, 15, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I will dwell, or I dwell in the high and holy place. Eternity is not a really long span of time, and God is in that. Or I mean, uh, yeah, and God is in that. No, eternity is, is outside of time itself. That's where God dwells. He inhabits eternity. He does not inhabit time. He does not take residence in His creation or, or in, in, a, in a subject way to His creation. If God becomes conformed to the creature, that being time, then we would have the God of panentheism, that God includes in Himself the creature and the universe, and all of that is in God, and God is in all of that. That abolishes the creator-creature distinction. No, he stands outside of it. He's distinct from the creation, and yet He moves and works and acts upon the creation. He inhabits eternity. Psalm 90 verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. In other words, time as we know it and time as God sees it are not the same thing. We are limited by time, whether it be a thousand years or a day or a single watch in the night. All these are the same to God because He observes them as, as, as a spectator almost. The Scriptures over and over declare God's life and relation to time as eternal. It, it is His greatness to be beyond such limits. We ought to be glad that God is not limited to time like we are. He is, as Abraham called Him in Genesis 21-33, the everlasting God. Thirdly, God's eternity demonstrated. God's eternity demonstrated. And here we... We see the implications of His eternity for all creation and especially for the people of God. In other words, we see God's eternity demonstrated in and through the things that He has created and the things that He has done. First, God's reign is eternal. R-E-I-G-N, His reign. Since God is eternal, then His reign as God and King over all things is an eternal reign. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10. We can turn there. Jeremiah 10, 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Everlasting King. Psalm 45, 6. 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of brightness. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Psalm 145, 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And then I'll just read this one from Daniel 4. Even Nebuchadnezzar recognized this, he says. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven... And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Think about this. Just before this, Nebuchadnezzar had been walking around saying, Look at this great Babylon that I have built. Nebuchadnezzar became a king. Nebuchadnezzar built a mighty empire. He had to work or at least send out his armies to subdue his enemies and build mighty Babylon. But after his humiliation, he realized this is not true of God. God is eternally king. God eternally reigns. God does not have to work to subdue his enemies. His enemies are by nature subject to his sovereign reign. They come into existence under him. His reign is eternal. Next we see God's Word is eternal. Turn to Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8. Isaiah 40, 6 through 8. A voice says, Call out. Then he answered, What shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And this is quoted in, by Peter in 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. Because God is eternal, God's word is also Eternal. God's salvation and care for His people is eternal. Turn to Deuteronomy 33. Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is a dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And He drove out the enemy from before you and said, Destroy. We never have to fear a time where God will not be a refuge to us. He's eternal. He's outside the bounds of time. He never takes a lunch break or a rest. There, there, there's never a time when any of His people might run to Him and He, and he has to say, give me a second. I'm, I'm trying to clean some things up here. Let me take a breather. None of that. He's, he's eternal, an eternal resting place. Turn to Psalm 48, 14. Psalm 48, 14. 
for such is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us until death. Even to our death, God is with us to guide us. Though we will, as we've seen, we're like grass. We will fade. We will die. We must die unless Christ returns. But God is the same. He's not getting older. We don't have to worry that He might die before us. He's eternal. He is the same. And His care for us is the same even in death as it is in bringing us into the world. He's eternal and His care for us is eternal. These next three, I'll just I'll, I'll read and, and just listen so that we can conserve our time. Psalm 102, 25 to 28. Here describing God's eternity. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. And then that folds over or leads into God's care for us. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. Because God is eternal, the care of His people will be eternal. And it's interesting, you, you know, Hebrews chapter 1 uses this text to speak of the Son, Christ. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, the steadfast mind of, or the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. And then Isaiah 48, 28 now to verse 31. We read these other, the first verse earlier. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. That's God. Well, then how does that come and apply? Or how is that applied to us? He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Why? Because God does not become weary or tired. We lean upon Him and His eternal strength. God is the eternal spiritual life and strength of His people. So we lean upon Him and He provides for us. And then the last one here shows us that God's eternity also touches the Great Commission. Christ promises in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why? Because God is eternal. We do not need to fear a time in this age when Christ will not be with His people. Wherever they are, whenever they are, God in Christ by the Holy Spirit will be with His people. How can that be? Well, what if it's a long time? What if it's 10,000 years? Well, that's nothing to God. He's, he simply is. He's there. Fourth point, and lastly, and this is in conclusion, God's eternity applied. What should be our response to the truth of God's eternality? What should be our attitude? How should we live before Him? 1 Chronicles 16 36, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting, even to everlasting. Then all the people said, 
Amen. And praised the Lord. What do we do when we realize, when we begin to see that God is eternal? We praise Him. We praise Him. We bless His name. Even Nebuchadnezzar responded in this way as we saw. He says, I bless the Most High and praise and honored Him who lives forever and ever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And then Paul gives us a pattern with his own doxology in 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's, that's Paul bursting forth into praise because God is eternal. His honor and glory is forever and ever. When we, when we think of this, when we, maybe not here, maybe if, if you study this, for me, it has been my experience when to dwell in, in these truths is it does not lead to comprehension. It just leads to worship. This is incredible. This God is, is amazing. He's wonderful. That should be our response. He is wonderful. We worship Him. Contemplation on God's eternal nature should cause us to well up with astonishment and bewilderment and praise and joy. As I said, sometimes even shock that He is so unlike us and yet He would condescend to love us, to tend to our our needs, to care for us. Creatures of time. He's wonderful. Let's pray.